if you think about this bigger picture, when you go through a healing process and your children and your family are doing so much better and you're feeling good, we just don't ever want to see you go backwards. So keep moving forward and let's keep that inflammation down as much as possible. Welcome to the Soaring Child podcast, where parents of children with ADHD learn tips and tricks to help their child soar at home, at school, and in life. We feature interviews with experts, medical professionals, and parents just like you who are learning how to reduce ADHD symptoms using food and other natural strategies. Because children with ADHD deserve to soar just like every other child. I'm your host, Dana Kay. Hello, parents. This is Dana Kay here with another edition of the Soaring Child podcast. Now, today's episode is particularly exciting uh, because we're going to delve into some of the most burning questions surrounding reducing ADHD symptoms naturally. And joining us is one of our remarkable expert coaches at the ADHD Thrive Institute and a regular on this podcast, Andrea Daigle. She's a board certified holistic health and nutrition practitioner and an FDNP. Together, we'll explore some of the most commonly asked burning questions surrounding dietary changes, sleep patterns, technology's impact, and so much more. So now, without further ado, it's time to welcome Andrea Daigle to The Soaring Child. Hi, Andrea. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Hi, Donna. Thank you for having me. I always love our conversations. Uh, They're so... They're just full of information and full of practical tips. So I can't wait to dive in. This is what, the first question I'm going to ask is actually really um, one we get asked quite a bit. And I think it's because there's a lot of uh, ad targeting out there. There's a lot of um, posts out there about this one particular thing. But I want to say before we dive into this particular question is that families need to be super, super careful if they take some random advice on the internet about this thing. So we're going to dive into what are the best detoxing modalities for kids because, as I said, it's super important that you really go low and slow and not just jump straight in with a kiddo to try and detox them from this or that because it can actually be quite dangerous. Exactly. And and the number one question that I get asked is what are the best detoxing modalities for kids? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really a tough one because we're, we really do want to go low and slow. We don't know if their detox pathways are open and we don't know if they're under methylating or over methylating, which is a term you've talked about on this podcast several times. And so it's really important because there is a lot of targeting out there in on social media, trying to um, bring forth the next best supplement that will help detox your kids. And it's important to also work with a practitioner as well while you're doing this. And so, you know, some of the best ways that I find in starting to detox is a detox bath. Number one, that is something super easy and gentle that you can do 
two or three times a week. And it's fairly easy. Uh, we use magnesium flakes and better, they allow for better absorption than Epsom salt. Uh, we add magnesium flakes, baking soda. Sometimes you can add in a little apple cider vinegar to the bath. And that is really a, a gentle way to detox for kids. Yeah, it is. And my my boys love it. Um, it's actually so relaxing. Uh, when you use magnesium flakes, it actually gets absorbed into the skin. So you're actually getting magnesium as well as the detoxing uh, benefits of it. Absolutely. And not, and I find too, if kids don't like taking a bath or sitting in there, bring in a story up, like you're bringing your Amazon and let them listen to an audible story or something mm -hmm. like that, or listen to music. My, my oldest absolutely hates taking a bath, but he loves listening to stories. So he'll sit in there happily for 15 or 20 minutes, a couple times a week for just because he's enjoying the story time. So I think it's a great way to bring in that light detox. Yeah, definitely. Um, another tip I, I have a, a lot of parents asking me is, well, I don't have a bath. What do I do? If worse comes to worse and you don't have a bath, you can get one of those foot baths. That's better than nothing. Look, it's not the ideal, but you can get a container, put in some warm, you know, warmish water and all of the things that, that Andrea mentioned uh, and, and get them to put their feet in it. While it's better to do a whole bath, if you don't have one, this is a great alternative. Um, did you mention, Andrea, like how much magnesium flakes or, or how much uh, baking soda? No. So it, you want to start low and slow, build your way up. So I always recommend it just depends on the size of your child, how much they weigh. And so I usually find starting with one cup of baking soda, one cup of magnesium flakes is beneficial for most kids. And you can work your way up depending on how much they weigh. Well, that's a great starting point for detox strategies. So what else? Yeah, jumping on a trampoline, rebounding. And I know there are a lot of people who um, are afraid of trampolines because of broken bones and things like that, but you actually don't need to have a giant trampoline in your backyard. You can get a mini rebounder, have it in your garage or have it inside your house and just let the kids bounce on that trampoline for a few minutes every day. It just gets the lymphatic system going. It really supports those detox strategies. And also you can do it in the morning before school school. You can do it for a few minutes when they get home. It's something super easy and they enjoy doing that. They definitely do. We have a big uh, trampoline in the backyard. Uh, and most of them these days, I think, I think the, the misconception about broken bones probably stemmed from so many years ago when we were growing up, when they didn't have these like safety nets around there, they weren't the pads on the actual, uh, on the actual like springs of the trampoline. Like I remember having a trampoline when I was a child, none of that stuff. Meanwhile, I didn't break a bone, but now the trampolines that they have in the backyard are so much more safe than what they were previously. So it's actually probably this misconception of trampolines from back in the day when we grow up. Uh, so we have a we have a big one. My kids love bouncing on it. You know, my fourteen year old now is sort of a bit too cool for school uh, to jump on the trampoline. But if his friends come over and hang out, they all jump and go crazy, crazy on the trampoline. But you're so right. You can do it with just a small rebounder. 
Yes. And it's very effective. And I, I do find sometimes, you know, while my kids, they just listen to music, bounce on it for five to 10 minutes, and it just is enough for them. Um, I've had some families tell me that they just will let their kids watch a show when they get home from school or early in the morning, just put the TV on and let them rebound for a little while. And not only does it support detox, you're burning off that energy as well. So it's very wow. effective. It is very effective. And I'm going to say also, uh, not only is it effective for all of those things, you know, exercise is one of the best modalities to help reduce ADHD symptoms naturally. And so this is like killing three birds with one stone. Not only is it like opening up that lymphatic system, it's helping that detox pathways. You're also getting the exercise in. It's also like firing off neurons in the brain to get like that energy and that oxygen up to the brain where our kiddos need it. Definitely. And that, that brings me to the next detox modality, sweating, sweating, and really allowing the toxins to come out of the body. Let your kids get outside, run outside and play, absorb that sunshine and really let them sweat it out. That is another easy way to detox. And I know depending on where you live, it might be hard to get that sweating to happen. Yes. I was just about to say here in sunny Seattle, a uh, um, little bit hard to get those kiddos um, uh, sweating. Andrea, you are in an area where you, your kids probably sweat a lot. Am I right? They do. And they play outside every day. And when, even when it's cold outside, they sweat because it's not as cold as it is in Seattle, but it is really beneficial. If you, even if you can't sweat, just getting outside, maybe even take a jog around the block. I've had families tell me that they'll have their kiddos run around the block in the morning too, just Mm -hmm. to get some exercise, get those neurons firing off. I think it's just a great way to just let some energy out and just start supporting that detox. Yeah, there are there are plenty of ways to uh, to sweat, and I don't know what other tips you have um, on the detox side of things. And I don't know if something starting with S is one of your uh, strategies. Is it? It is. Yes, using a sauna. A sauna is great for sweating and getting rid of those toxins. Now, you do have to be careful with children, especially when you're utilizing a sauna. Um, again, always going low and slow, keep that temperature low. Uh, ideally the recommendation is one minute per age. And Mm -hmm. so if they're five years old, five minutes in the sauna, but that temperature really nice and low, um, but it's up to you if you want to bring that in or not a lot in or not. Um, I find it with our older kids, teenagers, they really love the sauna. It's a form of relaxation and just a great way to really get those toxins out. Yeah, definitely. And um, I love infrared saunas and you can, you know, you, you probably think to yourself, well, I don't have a sauna at home. What am I going to do? There's a couple of ways you can go about that. You know, if you Google uh, infrared saunas near me, you'd be surprised a lot of like health and wellness places or even massage places actually have infrared saunas that you can, you know, buy a pass to and go on a frequent basis. We have one just down the road. I would love to get one at home, but, you know, the hubby's like, we don't have the space for it. Uh, So I actually just take my kiddos down to the one down the road and we do that on a frequent basis. We also have some personal ones that you can use at your home if you've got a smaller space. We will drop the links to those um, uh, in the show notes. So if that is something of interest to you, they're not big, massive ones. They don't take up a lot of space. They're the personal ones. Uh, that you can sit in a normal chair and and put it around you. A lot of the families going through our program have bought them and their kids absolutely love them. 
Yes, I've heard great reviews about the ones that they're bringing into the home that you have on the side. And I think they're wonderful. Just another way and another form to bring detox to you if you can't bring a sauna into the home or you don't have access to one. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, do you have any other detox strategy suggestions? Oh my gosh, you keep going and going and going. Guys, you gotta, I think you're gonna have to like go and get a piece of paper and start writing these down because, you know, uh, Andrea is always a wealth of information. Yes. And, you know, and with kids, we want to have several options because we want to switch it up a little bit. So things mm-hmm. that we want to do during this process is support the liver by drinking lemon water and bringing in milk thistle. Those things are great for detoxing. Milk thistle supports the liver. You can grind it up and put it into smoothies or even baked goods. If you prefer to take a supplement, you can do a, a clean supplement version of milk thistle. We have some in the online store, but those things are also going to support the liver while you're detoxing, which is really important. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, My kids and myself drink warm lemon water every morning as soon as we wake up. Uh, And they also, you know, as as you mentioned, they when they take their supplements, they take it with that lemon water. And, you know, if your kids don't like that sour taste, you can also add in some other things into the water. You can have like lemon and watermelon. You can uh, add in lemon and orange. It's like, you know, you're going to a spa. Uh, There's so many things that you can do with that lemon water. And I will also say water, I don't know if you've got this as one of your tips, but water is one of the best things for detox because our body is made up of majority of water. And so that water is going to flush out all of those toxins. Absolutely. And super important to be drinking as much water as you possibly can. And if they're not interested or don't like the flavor of lemon water, like with everything else, start slow, go low and slow, just put a tiny dash of lemon in that water and build your way up to where you're squeezing in, you know, a slice of lemon or a half a lemon in that water, because we just want to work to retrain the palate a little bit. And it does improve over time. So just stick with it. Totally stick with it for sure. Yeah. So that those are the detoxing strategies that I have. I think just rotating through some of those things and try to incorporate at least one of those into your daily routine and see if that helps. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I know you mentioned milk thistle. Uh, my kids actually love drinking milk thistle tea. And so a couple of times a week, they'll have a cup of the milk thistle tea. <clears throat> it actually, uh, the one that we use, I think it's Yogi brand from memory, um, but it has this sort of vanilla flavor. So they they do love to enjoy it. Okay. So next question. Uh, and we get asked this one, you know, this is one of the burning ones. What do we do if we've changed the diet and we're not seeing any progress? Yes, we do get this question a lot because we have so many people who come to us and say, we're already gluten, dairy, and soy free, and we are in the same place we were three months ago or three weeks ago. And, and the truth is, uh, we have when they come to us, they think they're gluten free, but when we get the labs back, we actually see it on paper and they're actually not. Gluten is sneaking into the diet somewhere and we have to be investigators and try to figure out where that's coming in. Um, And I think fine tuning the diet is really incredibly important and really working through that with families. It can be game changing. So just maybe keeping a food journal and keeping track of what you're eating can be helpful and just really look at it on paper. Are we bringing in too many processed foods, too many packaged foods, and really taking a good hard look at the diet 
diet would be the first thing that I would do if we're not seeing progress. Now, if you're somebody who is really solid on diet and you've been gluten, dairy, and soy free for six months, eight months, and you've given it the good amount of time that uh, the healing takes, and you're still not where you need to go, then that tells us we need to look deeper. We need to look deeper at what else is causing that inflammation. And what we see very often is families will come and say, things got better for a little while when we changed the diet. We had a lot of improvement, but three weeks later, we're right back to where we were that aggression is back, the dysregulation, the focus. And so when it gets better and it gets worse again, that means there's something in the body that is driving and contributing to that, that inflammation. And we need to figure out what it is through functional lab testing. Yeah, definitely. And, um, uh, I will, I will just add a couple of, uh, things there. Uh, you know, we, I've, as, as Andrea said, we've had many families come to us and say, we are, we've been gluten, dairy, soy free for a long time. I've had families that have come and said, we've been gluten, dairy, soy free for three years. And as, as Andrea mentioned, we get back something called a wheat zoomer that, you know, we've run this test for over a thousand families now. And we see on that, that, you know, they've actually had gluten or wheat within the last six to eight days of actually taking that test. And so it can be snuck in in so many ways. And so you really need to sort of go on that, like, you know, treasure hunt in a way to try and find everything. We've done, we've done a lot of podcast episodes on, on that. But another thing is, you know, even the families that think that their kids would never sneak anything, most of the time, you would be surprised they do. And so we've just got to not go in a you know, attack the child and say, what have you eaten? What have you eaten? But, you know, we really want to sort of investigate a little bit deeper. Also with the lab testing, uh, I did an episode not too long ago on, you know, what lab tests are my favorite. We also uh, have a video where I think it's about an eight or nine minute video. Uh, we will drop that in the show notes on lab testing because that's really, really informational about what, you know, are those key top lab tests that we suggest for kids with ADHD. These are not the be these are not just all the lab tests that you could possibly do. We find starting with a small base to really get that high level overview is is super important. It really is. And we want to get a really good comprehensive snapshot of what's happening in the body, especially if things have been solid with the diet, because in order to really see what's going on and for you to move the needle, we need to have some answers as mm -hmm. to what's happening in the body. So the testing will allow us to do that for you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the testing, uh, you know, one of the tests that we do is food sensitivity. You can't just do food sensitivity by itself. I will say that over and over again. And I, I'm not going to get into the reasons why right now. I think I do do that in the lab testing video. But gluten, dairy and soy might be highly inflammatory to your child. So you've taken them out. But there could be another food that is also adding to that inflammatory load. And, you know, when you've took, taken out gluten, dairy, and soy free, you might have started eating that more, and that can be contributing to the inflammation as well. Absolutely. I And that exact thing happened with my son. We were solid with gluten, dairy, and soy for, gosh, my youngest son for probably two or three years. Mm -hmm. And once we did his labs and found out he was really highly reactive to corn, and he still is, we still can't bring corn into his diet. And you know what? That's okay. That's just something that aggravates him. And, and he knows it, he feels it when he eats it. So we just don't bring it into the diet because it just causes that inflammation to, to really rise for him. 
Yeah. Um, we, my son was highly reactive to raspberries. I mean, who would have thought <laughs> raspberries are super healthy. And so, you know, I was giving to him, giving them to him a few times a week, uh, but they were actually exacerbating his ADHD symptoms. One of the big questions we get asked a lot. And, um, I love this question. Uh, you know, do families have to eat like this forever? That's a really good question. And I think one that brings a lot of kind of angst to families, especially yeah. when we're talking with them and having so many calls, it's something that they worry about because uh, they have this uh, notion of the same thing I did. The same fear that I had was, how are we going to eat out in public? How are we going to eat at family functions? What are parties going to be like? Dana Kay here, host of the Soaring Child podcast. I want to share the biggest ADHD myth with you today. The only effective way to reduce ADHD symptoms is through medication. Total myth. That is not the truth. So here is the truth. It is possible to reduce ADHD symptoms using only natural strategies. I've seen it in my own son and in over a thousand other children with ADHD that I've worked with. And don't worry, it's not as overwhelming as you might think. I created a free guide called the ADHD Symptom Reduction Tool. This guide will show you exactly how to begin reducing your child's ADHD symptoms naturally without stress or confusion. I break it down for you into three actionable steps that you can actually start doing today. When you put these steps into practice in your home, you will start seeing results fast so you can help your child thrive and you can bring back peace to your home. No more challenging ADHD symptoms that dictate the mood of your house. Just happiness and a true enjoyment of your child. Your child will finally thrive and become all that you knew he or she could be. So go to ADHDthriveinstitute.com forward slash tool to get your free guide and get started reducing your child's ADHD symptoms naturally today. That's ADHDthriveinstitute.com forward slash tool. And the truth is, it's so much easier to eat this way today than it ever has been. So once you adapt to your new norm, it just gets so much easier. So I will say, you know, I am of the opinion that no one should be eating gluten. I know you are as well, Donna. Yeah. So it just gluten causes that increased intestinal permeability. It causes a slew of issues. It contributes to leaky gut. Why go backwards? If you come to a place of healing and you're in such a better place, we don't ever want to see you go backwards. And so let's just not bring it back. You know, I just think it's better to keep it out of the diet. Now, something like dairy, dairy has different levels of digestibility. There are some people who can tolerate a little bit of dairy, you know, things like goat's milk or goat's cheese or even buffalo's cheese now it is so much easier to digest than something like cow's milk. So you may try to test that in and bring a little bit of that into the diet and it may go okay for one person. What works for one does not necessarily work for the other. So mm -hmm. it's important that after you're in a place of healing and things are much better and much more improved, you know, usually about a year out from healing, you could try to test that in and see how things go. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, I'll just, I'll just use the example of, of my family. About 18 months into our journey, um, you know, many years ago, 
uh, we tested back uh, dairy. Uh, we we did it in the form of of goat's milk and um, uh, goat's cheese, and my son did fine in it uh, with it. Uh, we didn't add dairy back into our house because it was just easy. It was our normal. We didn't even think about it. You know, dairy has these other things to it that can not only, it's not just about causing inflammation. You know, I think I've talked about dairy a lot on the podcast. One of those is is binding to opiate receptors in the brain, which is a, an enzyme called a casomorphin. Um, and so there are other reasons why dairy may not be healthy. So we just chose not to have it in the house. My son will, you you know, maybe once a month have something with cow's milk in it and does completely fine. But we know that our underlying genetics predispose us to lactose intolerance. So that's why another reason we don't actually bring it in full time. But if he has it every now and again, that's totally okay. Absolutely. And so I think when you test that in and you see that things are okay, exactly what you did, bring it in every now and again, no sense in really bringing it into the house if you've adapted to your new norm. And we just don't want to trigger that increased inflammation if we don't have to. 100%. What about soy? Yeah, soy. So, you know, we teach in the program all of the reasons. And I know you've talked about this, why it's best to keep soy out of the diet. It does mimic that estrogen production. So definitely want to keep it out, especially for girls and women. But what I will say is soy is one of the lesser of the evils. Um, mm -hmm. If it comes into the diet, you know, like for us, maybe once every two or three months or so, it might come in here or there if we're eating out. We don't have it in the home. We don't eat it in the home, but it doesn't actually trigger a response or reaction for my family. And so every now and again, we might bring it in and it'd be okay. Um, but while you're going through the healing, we definitely do want to keep that out of the diet. Yeah, 100%. And I will say like soy is one of the most farmed commodities uh, in the USA. 95% of the crops are genetically modified. And what that means is, which which can cause, you know, leaky gut. Um, it can cause inf inflammation in the body. And so when people sort of give themselves the license to add back soy, most of the time they think to themselves, well, you know, we don't eat tofu. We don't eat a lot of soy. But because it's got a high yield, it's really cheap. Uh, they put it into packaged goods so much. And so when you, some families, when they give themselves the license to add it back, they start eating lots and lots of packaged foods because a lot of packaged goods have that soy in it. And that soy is genetically modified. So for us, we will have it, you know, once once every one or two months, but we will have it in the form of non-GMO organic, say, edamame beans or uh, uh, non-GMO organic tamari, which is like, you know, a gluten-free um, soy sauce. But again, I only ever allow it in the form of organic non-GMO because, you know, yeah, every now and again when we go out to a restaurant, I know that like those fries that are gluten-free might be fried in soy oil. My kids do fine with it. But if I give myself the license to bring it back in in that, you know, on a regular basis, it's mainly the really bad soy that we're bringing back in. So just like Andrea, we don't keep it in the house. Uh, but every every now and again, we we have it when we're out. Yes. And I, you know, I think this just brings us to the point of where if, if you think about this bigger picture, when you go through a healing process and your children and your family are doing so much better and you're feeling good, we just don't ever want to see you go backwards. So yeah. keep moving forward and let's keep that inflammation down as much as possible. Yeah, hundred percent. And and look, I know a big question also is like, well, if someone does a food sensitivity panel with those other tests that we talk about, 
What about the foods that are on that sensitivity panel? Yeah, it's a good question. So as you're going through the healing process and you're finishing up your supplemental protocol, when you're working with us, we can bring those foods back into the diet once the healing has happened. And so when you get to a certain place in the protocol, we can work with you on how to bring those foods back into the diet. They don't have to stay out forever. Food intolerances are definitely not a forever thing. Once you heal the gut, most people can bring all of their foods back into the diet without any issue at all. Yeah. And that's always uh, reassuring. I remember back in the day, my son had, you know, 40 food sensitivities and I took out gluten, dairy, soy, and all of those food sensitivities on the first day. Don't do that, everyone. Don't follow in my footsteps. What you want to do is obviously take them out, small, slow steps. Rome wasn't built in a day, as I've always talked about, but he eats all of those uh, 40 food sensitivity, uh, food sensitivities now. And so we were able to add all of those back in. Some of them were out for three months. Some of them were out for six months. Um, it really does depend, you know, on the protocol and, and that, and that healing has occurred. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, digress off uh, diet for, for a bit. And this is one that, you know, oh, it's kind of like the bane of most parents' existence. And, and that really is technology. Uh, I can tell you it is a battle zone in our house with computer games. Uh, and, you know, I have my way of doing things. But, you know, Andrea, how much technology is too much? You know, we get the question asked, you know, why does, does my child behavior become worse uh, after playing computer games or watching too much TV? Yeah, it is definitely a hot topic right now. And I can just tell you, I remember back when we first started this, my husband and I would talk about why is it that every time my son watches TV, we turn it off and he's just an emotional mess for mm -hmm. probably the next, usually 30 minutes to an hour after watching that show, or it, it's just, it was exhausting. So we got to the point where we just said, we're not watching TV, but he was so much younger then, you know, now uh, what I can tell you is there are technology is created and made to be stimulating, right? It's, it also is created, especially these video games that are out there are lots of colors, lots of interactivity. It's supposed to be stimulating and create the uh, increase your dopamine, boost that up. It makes you want to continue doing it over and over again. And I just had a call with the mom the other day who told me that uh, while her son was finishing up the video game, she said it was time to turn it off. And he just took the controller and threw it at the TV, broke the TV. And that's not the first time I've heard that. Mm. So, you know, I, I related to her because similar things had happened to me, not quite that to that extent, but it can be really overwhelming. And I, you really want to set those boundaries for what works best in your home. Um, every family is different. What boundaries I have might be different from yours because what works for my kids might not work for yours. But what I can say is just, if you go into this with the, the mindset of it is created to be addicting and it is created to be overstimulating, that's a lot for a little brain to handle. And so if they're on the TV for an hour, two hours, it can really be a lot for them to have to turn it off in transition and then deal with social interactions. And so super important to really find that balance. 
which can be difficult now that technology is so incorporated into schools. Uh, my son comes home and has homework every day, he has to be on the computer, you know, Google Classroom, all of these things. And so we really have to work hard to find the balance between what he has to do academically and what he has to do, you know, if he wants to play a game or something. He's 12, he's into that. So are his friends, you know? Yeah, 100%. It's, um, uh, it's yeah, as I said, it's the bane of our existence because, <clears throat> you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it's left unsupervised, it can become a bad thing. But what we do in our house is we've got a limit um, every day and uh, our Wi-Fi will turn off those devices, their Wi-Fi for those devices once they hit their limit. The other thing that we do, which is actually, it really is fascinating. But what we do is every now and again, we'll have a technology holiday. And we had one just recently and the the boys didn't have any computers. Uh, they had TV because they they do fine uh, with, uh, with TV, but it's more about the computer games that are designed for that dopamine hit. Uh, we had no computer games for two weeks. Both boys were amazing, like perfect children, absolutely perfect children. It was, it was, it's just, it's so fascinating why, where you can really see their true self. And it is amazing what games, computer games do to their brains. And uh, we, we added it, we gave, we gave it back to them. uh, I think it was on Saturday or Sunday of this, of this week. And both kids were unbelievable. Like, you know, they started to become rude. They started to become, and so I just took it away again. I was just like, no, this is not happening. And it really is fascinating. So, you know, maybe, maybe implementing also like that technology holiday, because it really is actually interesting to watch. The first couple of days might be a little bit hard, but once you break that, um, it's okay. I want to talk a little bit on dopamine first. Uh, You know, it's kind of like sugar. What happens with sugar is actually releases dopamine in the brain and our bodies aren't designed to have too much dopamine all the time. So when we eat sugar, our body's producing a lot more dopamine. And so what our body and our brain does, it actually starts reducing the amount of dopamine receptors in the brain to basically downregulate that dopamine. Computer games do exactly the same thing. So if the more computer games you have, the more computer games you need to get that same dopamine hit, but then your body starts to turn off those dopamine receptors. So you need more and more and more to get the same hit. So yeah, it is one of those things that um, really needs to be watched in the house, I think. Definitely. And monitored as well. Like I, I too am guilty of being on my phone or being on my computer. It is yep. just, it's everywhere now. And so we really have to be cognizant as parents. When we eat dinner, we all put our phones away from the table. Um, you know, we do have routines in our house for technology. I'm a little more strict. It's like half an hour, uh, you know, maybe on like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we actually don't do technology during the week. It just works better for us in the home. Um, And then on the weekends, you know, if they want to watch sports or, you know, football game or something like that, it's really not as terrible. So I think just create those boundaries that fit for you. But if you're seeing a lot of dysregulation and you're dealing with aggressive behaviors when you're turning it off, it might be too much and it's time to kind of reevaluate a better solution for your family. 100%. But there's definitely no judgment from right. it. <laughs> because no, we, we all... live through it. 
<laughs> we are living it day in and day out. Okay, last question, Andrew. And we've had such a great uh, chat today. Um, so much good information. Uh, you know, and I think this probably leads in from the technology, but why can't my ADHD child sleep is a big one we get asked a lot. Yes. And sleep is so important. That's when the body's growing. That's when we're detoxing. That's when we're shifting and our minds are, our brains are getting bigger. And so it's super important that sleep is well balanced. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of reasons we can't sleep. And one of them is blue light, too much blue light before bed or even sunlight. You know, if we're outside in the sunlight, it's stimulating your circadian rhythm. And if you're outside an hour before you're supposed to go to bed, or if you're watching TV or on the computer or on the phone, it's stimulating your brain to think that it's time to stay awake. So my suggestion there is to just uh, analyze your activity. What are you doing an hour before you go to bed? And make that a calming time, make that a relaxing time and really uh, check your bedtime routines and make sure those are solid. That's what I would do first and foremost, if you're having sleep issues. Yeah. And also like low light, uh, as yeah. you said, you know, I mean, it's especially hard in summertime, isn't it? When it's, you know, 10 PM and it's bright outside. Uh, but, uh, definitely like, you know, turning the lights down low once it starts getting dark outside or sorry, summertime, not a good example, but once it's meant to start getting dark outside is really start to turn the low, the, the lights low because we want to trigger the body to produce that melatonin and that melatonin is needed for sleep. Exactly. And that brings me to the next, my next point is anxiety and sleep anxiety, all of those things that directly correlate to gut health symptoms. So mm. when we're thinking about the gut, 95% of your serotonin is made in your gut. And that serotonin is a precursor to your body's natural melatonin. So if we have gut health issues, we're likely not producing that melatonin that we need to help us fall asleep and stay asleep throughout the night. So if you're noticing that we're having a hard time falling asleep, we're having some mood dysregulation issues, uh, we're having a hard time staying asleep, we may need to take a deeper look at the gut to see what's going on there that's contributing to those sleep issues. Very, very, very good point. And that's why we always start with the gut and really, you know, checking it out to see what's going on. And I will also say, just to add to the gut, if you have parasites uh, in the gut, they come alive at nighttime. Uh, and so that could be another reason. Look, there are so many things that could be contributing to poor sleep, but we have just run out of time today, Andrea. Um, what an awesome episode. I'm excited for this episode to drop because it's just got so much information uh, that families can and actually put into practice, actually like really get started to help their child thrive. Andrea, once again, thank you for joining me today. And always, it's such a riveting conversation, sharing your knowledge and your experiences with listeners. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to next time. Definitely me too. Now, guys and, and listeners out there, remember every step, no matter how small, is really that step forward in understanding and better managing ADHD and reducing those ADHD symptoms now naturally. Like we know the journey can sometimes be challenging, but hopefully this podcast, hopefully, you know, we have shown you that you're not alone. Um, our podcast, the ADHD Thrive Institute, we're always here to, you know, shed that light that there is hope for families that have 
kids with ADHD. I want to ask, you know, if you found today's podcast uh, episode helpful, or if you find the podcast in general helpful, we would always be so appreciative if you could, you know, leave us a review, uh, share your thoughts about our podcast, your feedback. It, It not only helps us improve, but also it just continues to spread that awareness and really spread that support within our amazing ADHD community. Listeners, thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Soaring Child. I'm Dana Kay, your ADHD health practitioner. Keep on thriving. Thank you for listening to the Soaring Child podcast today. To learn more about how to help your child with ADHD soar using natural strategies, visit our website at adhdthriveinstitute.com and follow us on social media at ADHD Thrive Institute.